You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. I really uh, want to thank your family for taking the time to come out here today and kind of give us a, a preview into your life and what you've stood for and the challenges that you've faced. But more than anything, the thing that resonated with me was you citing Exodus 17 in that battle with Moses, Aaron, and Ur, and just realizing that ultimately this is what we're all a part of, and this ability to lift one another's arms, to be there as a support for one another throughout the world. And this is what God wants. You know, we're uh, in our series, obviously we are, we're talking about our missions offering, and I think today kind of gave you a little bit of a preview as to why it is so special, what we have the opportunity to be a part of. And I think part of that has been just really breaking down walls around the world. Uh, we're continuing our series, A Church Without Walls, and really thinking that through. You know, generally speaking, when we talk about walls, what do we think about? Barriers, physical walls, right? You know, there's one in the news the, the, uh, the, the past year that's been pretty significant. But yeah, there, there are barriers, there are means of separation. And the thing that's awesome about God, though, God from the very beginning, separation is not what he had in mind. God's always wanted to be in a relationship with us. It's always about God in our presence, ourselves in God's presence. And it started out in the Garden of Eden. You know, you look at what God established in Genesis for Adam and Eve. Were there any walls? There were no walls. There were no boundaries. There was one exception in light of what God, God gave them everything they could possibly imagine for. And there was one directive, which was referred to, we referred to as the Adamic covenant, an agreement that was made between God and Adam, and that there was, there was one tree, the tree that had the fruit of good and evil, which they were asked not to eat of. And we know that that was violated. And with that, we have the beginning of the very first wall between man and the presence of God. God could not have anything to do with that degree of impurity that took place, that blatant regard for the directive he had given after he'd given them everything. And because of that, Adam and Eve were cut off from the presence of God. In a sense, there was a wall, a wall of sin, that separated man from God and kept them from being in the presence of God. But I want us to watch a video right now that'll give us a little bit more insight into this particular situation, which really will help us understand and explain God's plan for us, which is God's plan for man has always been for man and God to dwell in one another's presence. And after that travesty that took place in the garden, God's always been working towards a point in time where we'd have the incredible opportunity to dwell in his presence again. The first half of the book of Exodus tells the story of ancient Israel being rescued from slavery. And when people say the Exodus story, 
Those are the chapters they're referring to. But the book has a second half where Moses gives the Ten Commandments to Israel along with these instructions about building a sacred tent. And what links these two halves together is this crucial story. The people of Israel, they're out in the middle of nowhere. They find themselves at the foot of this mountain called Sinai. And here, God's presence comes dramatically down in the form of a violent storm cloud. Now, let's stop a second and talk about this concept of God's presence because it's really important for the rest of the book. At the beginning of the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, humanity was in God's presence. They had this close relationship with him and it was good. But humanity rebels and the relationship is fractured and access to God's presence is lost. But God promised Abraham that he would restore his blessing to all of the nations. And that includes this restoration of relationship and access to God's presence. So here at Sinai, God's presence is now right here in front of them. And it's actually quite frightening. And he's here to invite Israel into this unique and close relationship with him. And the word used to describe this relationship is covenant. It's like a legal agreement between God and Israel. And it's unique because up till now, God hasn't asked Israel to do anything in return, just to trust him. But here on this mountain, God is going to ask Israel to do something. A lot of things, actually. He gives them a whole set of laws. that It includes the Ten Commandments. And if they obey these commandments, they will become the people who will represent God to the nations of the world. Like a priest would. Yeah, in fact, that's what God calls them to become, a kingdom of priests. And this is all connected back to the promise to Abraham that his family would become a blessing to the nations. Okay, but obeying these laws is going to be difficult because... There's a lot of them, and they set a really high standard. Though if you think about it, I mean, of anybody in the world who should be able to do it, I mean, it's these people who experienced firsthand God's grace and his power when he rescued them from slavery. And and they agree to obey the terms, but then they refuse to go into God's presence because it's, well, it's still a bit frightening. And since the people won't go up, Moses goes up to the mountain by himself to meet with God. But God still wants to be with all of his people. And so he says, okay, if the people won't come up here to me, I'll come down off this mountain to be with you all. And that's why he orders Moses to build this elaborate tent as a place where God's presence can be among his people. And that's why the next thing we get is seven chapters of extremely detailed architectural blueprints for this tent. It's really, really really long. But every detail is important and has some kind of symbolic value. For example, there's all this Garden of Eden imagery inside the tent. And it's to remind you that when you're in the tent, you are in God's presence. Then we get another six chapters describing how they built the tent, which is really just repeating the same blueprints word for word. Now let's back up because before the tent is finished, there's this super important story. Moses is coming off the mountain with the Ten Commandments and the blueprints in his hands, and he finds Israel breaking the first two commands of the covenant. Don't have any other gods before me and don't worship idol statues. Right. And so here we are immediately after agreeing to the covenant, they're throwing this ritual party, they're worshiping an idol. And so God says to Moses, you know what? This is is not going to work. I should just wipe these people out and start over with you. But Moses reminds God of his promise to Abraham and pleads with God to spare them, which is a really weird conversation. Why would God need to be reminded of something. Yeah, it does seem odd. But this dialogue is inviting us into God's experience of grief and pain due to Israel's actions. And he really could walk away. But instead, this God chooses faithfulness to his own promises, even though he knows it's going to cost him. 
So we come to the end of the book. The tabernacle's built, God's presence comes down off the mountain to fill it, and in the final scene, Moses goes to enter the tabernacle to be in God's presence. But he can't. He's actually not able to go inside, and that's how the book ends. Why can't he go in? That was the whole point. So when Israel worshipped the golden calf, it was like a slap in the face to God's faithfulness. And so Moses can't just waltz into the tent like everything's just fine. There's a deeper problem still in this relationship. Will they ever be able to fix the relationship and go into God's presence? Well, that's what the next book, Leviticus, is all about. We've got an incredible overview early on as to what God was willing to go through, the extent that he was willing to go through to allow mankind to walk in his presence again. So just kind of in in summary, we have Adam and Eve who violated the very first covenant with God, and that resulted in banishment from God's presence. And Isaiah 59 tells us that we have this amazing God who's aware of us. He can hear us. He wants to reach out. He wants to do so much for us. He has all these incredible blessings for us. But ultimately what it gets down to is whether or not we trust God in light of the promises he makes. I mean, Adam and Eve in the garden were given everything. The the Israelites coming out of Egypt plundered the Egyptians. I mean, go figure. The, The Egyptians hooked them up with all kinds of wealth. And then God took care of them for 40 years in the desert. Now, mind you, it probably only needed to be a few months for that journey to take place. But because of their lack of trust in God... We know what that venture looked like. In Isaiah 59, it says, Your iniquities have built barriers between you and your God. Your sins have made him hide his face from you so that he does not listen. This remains the same throughout all the time that man has had a relationship with God. There's one thing that can divide us, and that is sin. Sin separates. Yet salvation, overcoming the curse of death through a Savior, was something that God promised to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant. It promises a blessing to all nations, to all of his families, and the earth through his families would be blessed. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And then ultimately this blessing would one day usher in the presence of God for all nations. At Mount Sinai, we see God reveal himself in the presence to the Israelites and his willingness to want to restore that relationship. God invites the Israelites back into a relationship with him, and he asks the Israelites to obey his directives, which would lead them to becoming a kingdom of priests, fulfilling the promise to Abraham, to be God's representation to all nations. You know, with that, there's 10 chapters. I was blown away. I haven't read in a while, but man, the the direction, the measurements, the weights and measures involved with all the gold and silver and furs and everything else that was put together to build this thing, the wood and everything. There's 10 chapters of direction on what that would look like to basically this offering that would need to be taken up to construct the tent of the meeting, the tabernacle that God's presence would reside in. But while God and Moses were planning, we see what happened. Aaron's entrusted with the people, the wheels come off, the whole thing goes to hell in a handbasket. And we, we see that this covenant that had just been generated was already violated. Everyone 20 years of age or older were called to give ransom money for their lives, which is a form of atonement because of the sin that had already taken place. We, we see that God was ready to destroy everyone and start over with Moses. But Moses appeals to God, and God chooses faithfulness to his own promises, knowing the extreme cost 
that would be involved. And we know that today as disciples of Jesus Christ. We know the price that God was willing to pay. Now the video ended with a question. Would Moses be able to enter God's presence? Well, we know that's the case, but the answer to that question about Moses being able to go in, it was yes. But there were sacrifices that would need to be taking place so that he would be able to walk in pure. There was a time of atonement, different things that needed to be done in order for that to happen. And we can see when that finally takes place, the impact that this had on God's people in Leviticus 9, verse 23. It reads, Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of the meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Why? This was the beginning of a restored relationship with God. During this time, only a select few individuals had direct interaction with God, and that was only after certain purity rites were adhered to. These times of, of offerings were celebratory because sin was forgiven. And when sin was forgiven, the Israelites were able to remain in God's presence. Now, as Israel trusted in God and obeyed his law by faith, God continued to pour out the blessings promised in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. The promised land, Israel's strength, you look at all the battles they entered into in the, I mean, these were just average, it's like this congregation stepping into a battle against trained soldiers. Yet as long as the Israelis walked within God's presence, they won. God continued to deliver them and pour out his blessing. And this is how we got from God's presence in the garden to God's presence in the tabernacle. And even with his presence, though, God was still separated from the people by tent flaps and walls with the exception of, again, those few chosen individuals. Now we move to the time of King David and a time of peace, and God moves from the tabernacle into a temple. And while the Israelites settled in Canaan, they set up the tabernacle at Mount Shiloh. That's where God stayed until he required and asked, requested, actually, a stationary sanctuary. And in 2 Samuel 7, David, who now lives in a palace, wants to do something fitting for God. He wants to build God a temple. God tells David, though, because you have blood on your hands, you're not going to be able to build that temple. Your son will. So in verse 16 of chapter 7, it says, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God tells him, no, you're not going to build my temple, but I'm going to build a dynasty for you. And it would be through David that the promised Messiah would come. The king of kings would sit on David's throne in a rule that would have no end. We know that from Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. It says, for us a child is born, to give us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever, this kingdom will have no end. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So right here, David commissions the building of the temple, 1 Chronicles 28 and 29, which, again, would be built by Solomon. David donates all of his personal treasures so the Israelites will have the opportunity to continue to live in the presence of God. 
First Chronicles 29, verse 6, it gives us a little bit of an idea as to what went into this so they could maintain that relationship. It says, the leaders of the families, the leaders of the Israelite tribes, the commanders of units of a thousand and a hundred, the supervisors of the king work contributed willingly. They donated to the service of God's temple 5,000 talents and 10,000 darks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 1,000 talents, 100,000 talents of iron. All who possessed precious stones donated into the treasury of the Lord's temple, which was under the supervision of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people were delighted with their donations, for they contributed to the Lord with a willing attitude. King David was also very happy. And then verse 22, it says, They ate and drank with great joy in the presence of the Lord that day. See, the people were excited and grateful. Why? Because they were able to contribute to the building of and the maintenance of God's temple and the priesthood, which would serve in the presence of God. And I think just really keeping this in mind, this is really significant. The, the, with looking at the temple, the temple was not primarily a place of sacrifice, which did take place there, but it was a place of God's presence. And this ultimately would be a foreshadowing of what we have in Jesus Christ. As time goes on, though, the Jews depart from their relationship with God. They don't uphold their part of the covenant. And warring, warring nations come through and they take them into exile. This exile was a disaster for God's people because they were taken out of God's presence. Think of the tears that Ezra shared. Think of the tears that Nehemiah shared, knowing the condition of not their home so much as it was the opportunity to have and live with and worship God in God's presence. And that had been taken away. That had been destroyed. And as of 5.12, it says, But because of our fathers who angered the God of heaven, he handed them over to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who destroyed the temple and deported the people to Babylon. And you know, and this was all part of God's plan as well. The temple was destroyed. The walls came down to make way for God's ultimate promise. God, through David's lineage, promised to be in the midst of his people again. And the promise was fulfilled through the coming of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. In each of these passages for us today, we can see the significance of the promise of the presence of God. You know, Dustin, last week, you know, he talked about the gospel and that how this has always been God's plan. In Matthew 4, 23 through 25, the, the news spread. We see Jesus teaching and proclaiming the good news, healing the sick. And then in Luke 6, 20 through 28, we have this Sermon on the Mount. Now thinking this through, when Jesus presented himself as Israel's Messiah, he taught an amazing and spent an amazing amount of time on the blessings of God. But his teaching was something that was radically different from that of the Jew Jewish religious leaders of the day. His teaching was different, not just as the result of a change God's plan, but due to the Jews' misconceptions concerning God's promised blessings. You know, the Jews thought of blessing in terms of material prosperity. We have a lot of religions that continue to teach that today, that having a relationship with God is like having a genie. Rub the lamp and whatever your wish is, it'll be taken care of. And that wasn't the case. They thought that his curses were in the, showing in the terms of material adversity and physical affliction, but not in spiritual terms. 
The Jews of Jesus' day thought of God's blessing not in terms of grace, but in terms of works. And really when we think through this, it's so easy to slip back into those patterns, and we need to be careful today. Peter, when it came to Jesus talking about what he was going to suffer, the rejection that he would endure, and then ultimately dying for the sins of the people, Peter rebuked Jesus, speaking of the suffering that Jesus was talking about, because Peter didn't want any part of that. That isn't what he thought he signed up for. We see that in Matthew 16. Then the majority of the Jews in Jesus' day concluded that Jesus could not possibly be the promised Messiah because he failed to meet their expectations and their desires. And they were shocked to hear about God's blessings and curses opposite from their own view. We'll see that here in Luke 6, verse 20. It says, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, this is from the uh, CEV version of the Bible, contemporary English version, God will bless you people who are poor. His kingdom belongs to you. God will bless you hungry people. You will have plenty to eat. God will bless you people who are crying. You will laugh. God will bless you when others hate you and won't have anything to do with you. God will bless you when people insult you and say cruel things about you, all because you are a follower of the Son of Man. Long ago, your own people did the same things to the prophets. So when this happens to you, be happy and jump for joy. You will have a great reward in heaven. Verse 24, we need to be careful here. It says, but you rich people are in for trouble. You've already had an easy life. You well-fed people are in for trouble. You will go hungry. You people who are laughing now are in trouble, for you are going to cry and weep. You're all in trouble when everyone says good things about you. That is what your own people said about the prophets who told lies. This is what I say to all of you, if you will listen to me. Love your enemies and be good to everyone who hates you. Ask God to bless anyone who curses you and pray for everyone who is cruel to you. Jesus just turns the world on its head right here. Called those blessed whom the Jews regarded as cursed. Jesus called those blessed who were hungry, poor, and sorrowful. And then he goes on to talk about the rich. I think one of the things that I'm grateful for is times of the year like this where we can, we can negate this passage when it comes to the rich. And that we can be excited that we are very wealthy where we live and how God has blessed us where we've been born. We had no control over that. But God did. And God planned to use it to have an impact, to make a difference. Mexico, Central America, the Middle East, and all of our churches worldwide that support the mission field. See, when it comes to us being wealthy, in light of that passage that was shared in Exodus 17, we have engaged in the past using our wealth to make a difference. And we will continue to do so in the future, to make a difference with the abundance we have by tearing down walls. Let's take a look at Mark 15, verse 33. It says, at the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ruined and filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, 
And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. You know, if we go back to Leviticus, we know that this sacrifice for sin, for an atonement, was found in the lifeblood of an animal. And once that animal was sacrificed and that blood was shed, this forgiveness of sin had taken place. And the thing is so awesome. This is all part of God's plan going back to the very beginning because of who we are in our fallen state. There's no longer any need for a mediator today. God and his kingdom have been revealed to us through the presence of Christ. God in the flesh walking amongst us. In verse 38 it says the temple curtain was destroyed. These imaginary walls that had divided man from the presence of God were destroyed. See, we don't need that mediator anymore, nor do we need animal sacrifices anymore, because Jesus was that final sacrifice. In Acts 2.38, we're all very familiar with it. It reads, repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then again, in Ephesians 2, verse 12, we see Paul addressing the Gentiles. Now, remember that at this particular time, there was a lot of conflict between Jews and Gentiles and what the Gentiles needed to do in order to become Christians, which ultimately for the Jews meant you become a Jew, then you get baptized, then you can become a Christian. But in verse 12, Paul's addressing the Gentiles, and he says, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. There was a wall, but it was not of stone. It was a dividing wall of spiritual hostility. The Jews, they kept the law that had been laid out by Moses with all of its commandments and regulations. The Gentiles did not. So there was a wall. This created a wall between them. Now Jesus' death satisfied the law and broke down the wall between God and sinners. But it also destroyed this cultural wall and spiritual wall as well. Since neither Jew nor Gentile had to obey the law to find salvation, the ability to distinguish between the two had been destroyed. That had vanished. And we pick up in verse 18 says, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. In Christ, the Gentiles are being built into God's temple along with the Jewish Christians. And all together they form one worship center where God lives through the presence of his spirit. You know, I think it's unfortunate today there are still places where some of these walls still exist. Places where the walls of his hostility between Christian and Muslims still need to be broken down. There are places today where we have socioeconomic walls that don't make the gospel readily available, but as we've heard today, we can and we do make a difference. We can and we will break down those walls. 
just a few minutes, just like the Jews who celebrated in the presence of the Lord with Moses, in the presence of the Lord with David and Solomon, and last but not least, the apostles who celebrated their joy in the presence of the resurrected Lord, just as those who've come before us celebrated in the presence of the Lord, we too will come forward and celebrate in the presence of the Lord today as we bring forward our missions offering. And this will continue to break down any and all the existing walls of hostility that exist today as we move forward as a church without walls, making the gospel available to all nations. Amen? Let's pray for communion. Father, as we come before you today and we look at the way that you've planned for this very moment, that we have this amazing relationship with you. Those that have been baptized as disciples of Christ have your presence residing with us, in us today. And Father, I just pray that we, we never lose sight of that. Looking back to the promise that you made to Abraham that Moses cried out to you for, and the senior willingness to uphold that by the extreme sacrifice that each of us has had the opportunity to participate in, which is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as we're raised in new lives. Father, I pray that we never lose sight of the gift that was given us so freely when we were at our worst. And just knowing there is so much more work left to be done, but God, you're an amazing God. We've seen you break down walls on so many different levels just in our own brief history on the face of this planet for those of us that sit here today whether it was the, the wall in Berlin, whether just so many different situations where we've seen you usher in your gospel. And Father, I pray as we come forward today with our offering before you that we can celebrate, our children that are here with us today can celebrate and be joyous knowing that we're having an incredible impact and we're helping lift the arms of those around the world that need our support and our help. But Father, again, help us to remember the body that was given to us so freely, the atonement for sin that we received through the waters of baptism as the communion's passed. Help us to reflect on what an amazing God you are and share with you the gratitude we have for your son Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.